0: Kids, you can head on back. Have a great morning. Parents afterwards, hey, I want to remind you, don't just ask your kids, did they have fun? Hopefully they will. I think they will. Ask them to tell you the story they learned. Our whole kids program is wrapped around being able to tell the story and learn the story. So. Asking that. First Peter chapter one. We're going to take a look at this passage. So if you'd open up to First Peter chapter one, either in your Bible or get your phone out and engage that way. There's something just a little bit more engaging when you look at something that's not just the screen up ahead here. I provided for you in your notes as well. And so next week, um, I'm going to be gone next week, and some of you are asking like, "Hey, uh, vacation? Great. Where are you headed? Um, nowhere. The house. It's going to be awesome." So. Um, I'm going to golf. I'm going to do yard work, and it's going to be amazing. So, um, uh, so Pastor Eddie actually is going to preach next week. Uh, Pastor Eddie, do you mind standing up? So, there we go. So, Pastor Eddie's going to preach for you next week. Aren't you excited about that? You don't even know how he preaches when you're excited about that. They, I don't ever get that. So, because they know how I preach. That's yeah, that's right. You're excited. I'm going to be gone, is what I heard. All right, all right. Good, good. Hey, uh, uh, we're looking forward to that. If you haven't met Pastor Eddie, his wife Sylvia, please do that uh, as well. So uh, Eddie is, is a longtime Westland and and uh, pastor churches, so, um, so we're really glad to have him here next week. And he, if it's terrible next week, you know, like I'll be back the next week after that. So if it's awesome, like he's a resource right here in our church, so it's like win-win both ways, right? Alright, good enough. First Peter, did I give you enough time? I was just trying to stall. First Peter chapter 1, are you there? So then after that we're going to be uh, looking at this series called Powerhouse, talking about what lies behind the doors of our houses and how can God really speak into that. And then uh, we're going to be moving into a different series. But down the road I was thinking, hey, looking at First Peter and walking through a, a passage in First Peter, really the whole book, it really parallels our current Day in our current lives as Christians. And so I'm kind of researching and looking at that. And I thought, you know, we got to open Sunday. Let's talk about this particular thing that just jumped off the page uh, for me. So that's why we're in first Peter. If you didn't get sermon notes, you got in here. If you want to slip up your hand, Pastor Anson is back in his place, ready to run like the wind to give you uh, some Oh, right up here in the front. Right when he hands it, somebody in the back. Put your hand Alright, right, First Peter. Uh, let me take a, a look at this passage with you, and let me read it first, and then we'll just start to, to break it down. So take a look at it. First Peter 1, 14 through 17. Don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you when you were ignorant. But as obedient children, you must be holy in every aspect of your lives, just as the one who called you is holy. It is written, you will be holy because I am holy. Since you since you call upon Father who judges a Father who judges all people according to their actions without favoritism, you should conduct yourself with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land. The Word of God for the people of God. Hey, so uh, this particular book is written it's most commonly attributed to Peter which is you know why his name's on it Um, there's a little bit of debate among scholars but most commonly it is to Peter writing or at very least a scribe of Peter writing this and it's two letters and they might have been one letter that was somehow broken into two but they were sent to all believers so this wasn't one particular church this is a very widespread wide read book here, when it was re- written, or more correctly, we would say a letter, epistle, the top of your Bible might say, simply a letter that was written. Because what was happening is in the early church, you had all of these people coming to know Jesus Christ, and the faith was brand new. And they were coming from all different backgrounds. Some of them were uh, were Jewish, and they were coming with the Old Testament and all of their understanding of the law and how Jesus worked as the Messiah. Some of them were Gentile, and they didn't know anything about that, or very, very little. And so all of this was new as well. They were also living in an empire, in the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, And this was fresh. It had just become, it kind of moved, if you remember your history books, from a republic to an empire now. It was functioning different. And there was all kinds of religious systems that were floating around the empire. And so you had all of these things that could have been an influence on these new believers so think about it now if your child parents came to know jesus christ one of the things you would think about right afterward is what are all the things that could influence my child away from that faith or distorting that faith and that was very very common and so you actually find several of these letters specifically peter first second peter first second third john the book of jude right all of these letters if you read them, you'll actually see this context of kind of correcting maybe theology or encouraging them to stay tough in, in the face of persecution. And so that is really what's going on, and we're going to see a little bit in this letter. For the first readers of this letter who Peter is writing to, like following Christ brought them into conflict with some of the cultural standards and cultural norms of their time. Does that sound familiar to you in our day? Yes, nothing has changed. Take any period from this writing all the way up till today, and any period of time, this same thing is true. Our Christian beliefs and practices, they will butt up against in conflict with kind of cultural norms. You've heard me say it this way before, that if we were to kick up our feet to the current of culture – It will take us anywhere it wants to go. And so our faith and our beliefs in Christ and our understanding of God's word grounds us in these things. Hear what I just said. It is Christ, God's word, and what it says, it grounds us. It's not like I've heard a bunch of sermons. I read a lot of Beth Moore books. You know, nothing wrong with sermons. I don't think there's anything wrong with Beth Moore. I haven't read those Beth Moore books, but the ladies love them, right? It is us, though, grounding ourselves in Christ and in Scripture that brings this firm foundation. And so Peter is writing and he is combating this. He is speaking to this to encourage and challenge young Christians, new Christians, to stand firm in this. This is a call, as we read 1 Peter, it is a call to holy living. Or he actually uses the phrase proper conduct. So Peter is interested in our behavior. He would say, look, if you're a follower of Christ, it actually does something different to your behavior. Your actions would be different. Now, we see he's constantly attributing this to following Christ or in Christ or a life in the Spirit. So for Peter, the assumption is I'm starting with Christ. I'm starting with following. I'm empowered by the Spirit. So he's not starting with a list of do's and don'ts that, Maybe somebody created and he's heard over his lifetime. He is grounding himself in Christ. And so that's my calling to you as well. And nothing wrong with learning things that are good for us to do and not do. That's right, super important. But don't substitute that for you grounding yourself in God's word and seeing who is Christ. What does he call us to? So that is clearly in this book, following this good example of Jesus Christ. Now, in, in the face of what? Well, Peter puts it in a couple contexts. One is very clear. One is a little more subtle. One of the contexts is in the face of persecution, right? We see that show up several times. Hold true to your faith. Paul picks up on this theme. We see this in John as well. And so this persecution is a theme. And you might remember in the book of Acts, there was tremendous growth of the church. Most of the conflict early on came from the Jewish religious leaders. Then there became this time of peace. Everything was like, wow, this is kind of good. This is going well. And then that changed dramatically. Once Christians were starting to be blamed for the problems in the Roman Empire, everything changed. And there was a time of deep persecution in the church. The scattering of the church, that turned out to be a God thing because God scattered Christianity everywhere. And so persecution was going on. So it would make sense that that theme would keep showing up. Here's another one that's not as clear. Heresies. In the face of heresies, stay true. You've probably heard the word heresy all your life. Uh, maybe like me for years, even though I was a Christian minister, like I'd hear that word, I had an idea of the definition, but I wasn't very interested. So I just moved on and didn't study that, didn't look at that. But they were actually in the face of heresies. So when we read First and Second Peter, First, Second, Third John, Jude especially, we actually see these lines that show up where they're combating these heresies. Now, you say, well, what is that? Take a look at your notes. I put it in there for you. A heresy is a belief or opinion contrary to orthodox. Now, think orthodox meaning standard, a standard, especially Christian, doctrine. So when these beliefs or opinions would rise up and they were contrary to what they knew about in Christ, what the early church had had, had laid out as standard in Christ. These were a problem, especially when they started to influence young believers. Now, persecution worked this way. You believe in Christ, somebody came against you. But heresies worked a little bit different. They were grounded in some form of truth. They sounded very truthful. They kind of sounded very Jesus and very God, and that sounds like him. And so the next logical conclusion would be this, yet this often led them to some heresy or some form of belief that was not correct. Now, there's all kinds that showed up at this time. We don't even, we can't even begin to go. There's, you might have heard the phrase, the standard eight, that actually is a standard list of heresies that, it's interesting, standard eight, because they're going against the Christian standard, but that's the name they're given. But we don't have time to get in those. You can look those up and have fun on your own if you want to see those. Um, you may have heard of one called Gnosticism, um, or Gnostics that shows up. It wouldn't have been called that at this time, but it develops into that. And that was this belief that there was two things at work: there was matter and physical, and then there was spirit and mind. The matter and physical was always bad. It was evil. It was enticing. It was sinful, all of those words, but spirit and mind were good, and they could lead you to goodness, and they could lead you to, uh, they might even say the word divine over here. And so there was a clear distinction. And so this rose up, and it actually affected the church in a lot of ways, because if you were a Gnostic, it was very hard to believe that Jesus came and was in a body died on the cross, rose in, in, in a physical body, because that's all bad over here. It's all evil. So you had to believe that Jesus was just always spirit, just in some mystical form where when people looked at him, it might have looked like a body. And so you could see these type of philosophies or theologies developed. And now if you just take that alone and you could go back and read those little books that I just gave you, and those are small books, small letters of the Bible. You could read them fast. You would now naturally pick up on a few instances where Peter is speaking against these heresies. A little more subtle, but it's in there. What about today? Do we face this anymore or are these gone, (laughs) right? We don't have to deal with these type of things any longer. Well, you might have guessed already. We still deal with these things, right? We may not use the word heresy so much, but we still deal with maybe incorrect theology or those type of things. Now, often these things start with belief systems, or logic, or theology, right? And they move into practice. They move into how we behave or what we do. But there's one that I would say most dramatically affects the contemporary church, the modern church, that goes the other way. You see, it starts with practice. It starts kind of how we're living something out. And the more we live this out, the more we kind of develop our thinking of, well, I guess this is how it really is. And in reality, it's not. Let's take a look at it. So uh, t- take a look at your, your outline this morning. I'll, I'll share with you what I mean. We're saved by accepting Jesus as our Savior. Truth? Yeah. We're saved by accepting Jesus as our Savior. We have learned that. This is what we mean. You won't found salvation within yourself. You will not find right relationship with God within yourself. You will not be able to deal with the problem of sin and the separation of the relationship in yourself and you won't find it in any other avenue right jesus says i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me so we look and we would say it is truth to say we are saved by accepting jesus as our savior now when i say accepting jesus don't just think i mean the prayer you said that one time you went to camp and you said the prayer we sometimes call that the sinner's prayer lord Come into my life, be the Lord of my life, forgive me of my sins, I want to live for you, that that kind of thing. Or if it was kind of a season of your life, you can't point to one prayer, but you know that was the season of my life where I surrendered my life and I became a Christian. I trusted on Jesus. So you're saved by accepting Jesus as our Savior, truth. We're sanctified or we grow in our faith by accepting Jesus as our Lord, truth. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like, there's something more to it, right? Like, we would say, I accept Jesus as my Savior, but I am sanctified or I grow in my relationship with Christ as I take him as Lord. Like, as I say, listen, he is Lord. You know the phrase, like, don't Lord over me? That's about the only time we use the phrase Lord outside of uh, the church world, right? And that's in a negative sense. But what we're saying is, don't dictate to me, you know, what what I should do or what I shouldn't do. But in Christ, what we're saying is, do dictate to me, do tell me, like I surrender myself to you, I follow you, show me what to do that I might have better life, I so trust that's what he has to offer, so if Jesus says, listen, let's be all about compassion, I don't want to do compassion, right, Jesus says, oh, come on, let's do all about compassion, it brings this life, as Lord of my life, I'm going to say, I'm going to learn how to be compassionate, I'm going to learn that, what does that mean, Jesus, I'm going to read. and I'm going to see where Jesus was compassionate. We're sanctified. We grow. Now, this doesn't happen at one moment. It's not like all of a sudden I say, Lord, today I commit to be sanctified. And boom, we're, de- we're there. Everything is, is in hand. And we have nothing more to gain, right, by Jesus being Lord. No, you know it's more and more. It's a gradual, progressive journey we're on. I've said it to you this way often, uh, that it, sanctification is giving everything I know of myself to everything I know of God. It's this progressive growth in our faith. So we're saved by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior. Truth? Yeah. We're sanctified by accepting Jesus as our Lord. Truth? Yeah. All right. We may do the first without ever doing the second. Truth? We go, no. That's where our modern-day heresy comes in. You see, we sometimes live it out like I can accept Jesus as my Savior But I don't ever need to do anything with him as my Lord. I don't need to have him Lord over me. I don't need to have obedience to him. I don't need to get in line and follow him and let him speak into me. Now, I'll do that in a lot of different other areas of my life. I mean, I'll let my little league coach Lord over me, right? But somewhere that heresy sneaks in that I don't have to let Jesus do that. And if I do, isn't that legalism? And legalism's bad, right? I shouldn't be legalistic. And we develop this new thinking, almost this new belief, but it flows out of practice. Nobody in here says, all right, here's what I'm going to do from now on. I'm going to believe on Savior, but I don't have anything to do with having to follow Jesus or conform to him or anything like that. That's the right system. Like nobody would do that in here. We all know that when we become a Christian, when we accept him as Savior, we all know that we learn That there is transformative power in the name of Christ. And he wants to take us from that point and not leave us the same, but change us into something that brings life and wholeness of life. Sometimes that's challenging. Sometimes it's a lot he's asking of us, right? But it is for our good always. So we don't ever sit down and logically think that out. But what happens is when we start to live out our day-by-day life, when we start to kind of maybe follow the cultural norms and we live out – We keep claiming he's my savior, he's my savior, he's my savior, we'll sing it, whatever. But our practices, in some areas of our life, we've said, he's Lord here, I'm not letting him be Lord here. And that is a problem. We are actually living out a form of false belief or heresy here. Peter says this in in his book earlier on, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, God's in control, that's a sovereignty passage, In the sanctification of the Spirit, why? For obedience to Christ. That sanctification growing in our walk with Christ is to bring us in line that we might be obedient to who Christ is through the Spirit. We're empowered to do this as well, that we might be obedient. So we do what he says to do. We strive for holiness in the Spirit that is incredibly important. Listen to how A.W. Tozer writes it. Of course, he says it better than me. Listen to this. You cannot study the Bible diligently and earnestly without being struck by an obvious fact. The whole matter of personal holiness is highly important to God. Now, he doesn't create that. You probably knew that. The Bible actually teaches this. In 1 Peter, this is where it shows up. So let's take a look at it. First Peter, we'll start in verse 14, the first of our passage, says this. Don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you when you were ignorant. Let's start with the word ignorant. Simply means this by definition, you didn't know, right? You just just didn't know. That is what ignorant means. Before you knew Christ, before you knew Jesus, you didn't know this. You didn't know the way to live, right? You didn't know what Christ brought. You didn't know what obedience to Christ looked like. But since you've come to know Jesus, you do know what it looks like. And he's saying, don't be conformed to your former desires, those that shaped you before. Now you know. So don't be conformed. Now, don't miss how he's writing this. He's saying those ways shaped you. They shaped you. Listen, parents, are you trying to shape your kids? Like when you tell your kids to do something, are you simply doing it because you don't want to get off the couch and do it yourself? Well, uh, sometimes, right, parents. <laughs> All right, Bad example, bad example. So um, we're almost always we're doing because we want to build into our kids. We come down hard on lying. Why? Because we want them to learn. Listen, you're not making it anywhere in this life lying. You're going nowhere. We want them to work hard because we know lazy people don't really make it in life, right? So, we're building into our kids, but we find ourselves doing it through obedience as well. Because we know those things will shape our kids. Just like doing the things we're calling them to do will shape them as well. Peter knows this, and he writes it this way. This is a common theme from Paul, even from Peter, from John. He, they're basically saying this that's your former self. That's not you anymore, it's not you any longer. You don't have to live that way. Now, it's available to you. You can choose it. It's not good for you. But that's not you anymore. That's not what you're identified with. Why would you go back and want to be influenced by that and follow that? You thought that when you didn't know. You were ignorant then, but now you know. That's what he's getting at here. There was a time I went to San Diego. We drove from Moreno Valley, California, down to San Diego. That's about a 90-mile journey, and we were – I was just like 16, and we were getting in the car. So this was a big journey for us, right? Went with my buddy David, and we went to a Padre at Braves game. And you know I'm a passionate Braves fan. So we're in San Diego at the Padres. Now, this, this was a time when you may remember the story where Steve Garvey had got himself in a little bit of trouble with some extramarital affairs, and some, some kids showed up and some paternity tests, Right? So it was a little bit of a big deal scandal at the time, right? And my uh, pre-Jesus mindset was this, that it would be really funny if David and I went to the game and we made signs. Remember when people made signs and you hold them up, you know? If we made signs that said, Steve Garvey is not my padre. Like Like we thought at the time that would really be clever and funny. The Jesus me, right? When Jesus spoke into my life, Jesus, I'm horrified by thinking of a 16-year-old boy holding this sign up. Now, we didn't get too long because the usher shut that thing down hard, right? But holding this sign up, I'm, like I tell that story every once in a while, and I always want to tag on, that was pre-Jesus, right? I, I, think, I, I think I'd become a Christian, but I, I mean it was, that's pre-Jesus, that's, that's pre-Lord stuff, right? But when Jesus gets a hold of us, and Jesus says, hey, speak words of hope and encouragement into people. I'm not going to a game and holding up a sign like that anymore because he's trans. he said, that's not you anymore. You don't do that to people. You lift them up. You encourage them. You speak words of hope and life into them now. That's what we're called to. That's what Peter is getting at here. He's saying this. There was a way you once lived. That was your thoughts and your actions, right? But that's not you anymore. It's not you. So don't conform to that. Don't give that any authority and power in your life. Any longer, he contrasts us by saying this. But as obedient children, you must be holy in every aspect of your lives, just as the one who called you is holy. Now that's impactful, but I don't think it would be quite as understanding, or understandable if he had take as obedient children out of there. You see, when you say as obedient children, do this, man. As parents, we know exactly what he's talking about. As obedient children. Listening and hearing, showing respect and honor for our parents. Now, he's talking about God. We know our earthly parents, and parents in here, you'll agree, we blow it. We have blown it often, right? But we understand uh, the the good we want from our children and when we lead them. All the more for God. Saying you can be obedient children of God and be, he says, like God. You're not going to be God, all right? So don't have that goal. But you could be like God in this sense of how you live out your holiness as well through our obedience, also. We kind of get sometimes into this conflict of practical versus the spiritual. And we ask questions like this of each other. I say, like, hey, Chris, how's your spiritual life going? It sounds like a good question, right? Like, you know, that's a fair question. And he kind of knows what I mean. He's kind of like, well, tell me about your devotions. Tell me about your time with God. Tell me about that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, tell us all about it, Chris. But no, it's okay. You know? But it assumes another question we don't ask. The other question is, hey, Chris, tell me about your non-spiritual life. And that might seem like, okay, well, that, what's wrong with that question? As believers in Christ, that question doesn't really exist. Why? It's all spiritual. It's all Our Christianity affects every part of our life. Every decision we make and thoughts we have, every behavior, everything we act on is to be influenced by Christ. And so it's all, it's all spiritual. Everything is spiritual. Every decision we make in some way, shape, or form, everything we do, it has the opportunity to bring honor to God, but it has the opportunity to dishonor God. As well. Now, granted, there's some neutral things. If you go to the donut shop this morning, you say raspberry, you know, or lemon feel, God's probably like, whatever. Can we just get out of here? You know, so I don't think God cares all that much about your donut choice. Now, He may care about the five or six donuts you're eating there, you know. And speaking to myself this morning. So um, everything is spiritual there. Obedience, then, is not proved just by our beliefs, it's proved by our actions. That's where obedience is really proven out. I mean, parents, you understand, right? It doesn't matter how many times your kid says, it's really important to me to keep my room clean when you've asked them. If you look in there in the room clean, it's important to them. If it's not clean, it's not important to them, right? I mean, we understand that. Uh, Surely that breaks down some way, but you understand what we're getting at here. When we do it, our actions prove out. Our obedience, if we're truly obedient. In fact, he says, you'll be holy because I am holy. This is a quotation uh, from the Old Testament as well. And that word holiness, hagias, it just means this, pure, blameless, consecrated. That's what this word means. In fact, you might know the word consecrated, and you might have had somebody that shared with you, hey, holy, consecrated, or set apart. Have you heard that about the word holy? And it's true. But it doesn't capture all that the word holiness means. In fact, when we say set apart, this is what we uh, often think of. We are set apart for. We're set apart for a special purpose. And that is true. We just talked about that in the book of Acts. or 13 weeks, right? We're set apart for something. But we forget the word also means this. You are set apart from. That when you're holy, you're consecrated, you're set apart from, and Peter's getting at this, you had an old life, an old way of living and thinking and behaving, you're consecrated, you're holy, you are pulled from that, you are set apart from that, set apart from that so that you can do this. If we only stay over here, sometimes, even without us trying, it's like we pull this with us and say, well, I can be that and go be this purpose." The word says, no, you are pulled from that so you can do this. Listen, you have to understand this morning that holiness in God, you are set apart from whatever you conformed to before, from whatever that was. Why return to it? It's not you anymore, is what Peter's saying. It's not you. The only way that you can say, I want to live in here, right, and I kind of want this, but I want to stay in here, is if you buy into this heresy by saying, well, I can take him as Savior, but I don't have to take him as Lord, so I'll just live it over here. I'll just stay in this conformed place over here. That's not what holiness before God means, and it certainly isn't the character of God himself. He finished off this section, verse 17. Take a look. Since you call upon a father who judges all people according to their action without favoritism, You should conduct yourself with reverence during the time of your dwelling in a strange land. Notice that first passage there. People, according to their actions, what's this, without favoritism. It's saying, look, you're going to be judged on what are you doing with your Christianity. And guess what? I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, or you just came to Jesus Christ like a thief on a cross. You're going to be judged on what did you do with it. So it's not like, you know, like the length of your Christianity doesn't excuse is what we're saying. You know, it's not like, well, I've been a Christian. I mean, I've been been a member of this church for all my life, right? And if we're not living out our faith in obedience to Christ towards this thing of holiness, sharing our faith, living this thing out, I could care less about the length of your membership. It's irrelevant. That's what this passage is getting at here. What are we doing with this and living this out? You should conduct yourselves with reverence, with reverence. You know what that word is? Phobos is the word in Greek, and it simply means this. That which strikes, get this, terror. That's a scary word. That's what strikes terror. Now, we're a little influenced sometimes by all of our horror movies. We like to sit and watch and the the screaming and the terror and being frightened and scared and those type of things. So don't try to inject that into this word. This is when I have something that is in such awe and respect over this. I'm in such respect over this. That when I disobey that, that brings some form of, call it fear or shame, or I blew it, or because of the awe and the place that I've set that up at. So it would make sense that when we set God up in that position, is he a forgiving God? Absolutely. The grace of God. But when I set him up as he is, he is Lord, sovereign, it does something to me when I choose to disobey him. It, it grabs me. Why did I do that? Why do I do that? And that's what this word is getting at. He finishes it, says, your time dwelling in a strange land. Uh, what does he mean there? Look, this, this world is not your home, Right? Listen, if you're one that just likes to preach, hey, I'm, I'm saved, I'm sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm going to heaven someday. That is truth. What are you going to do now? What's going to happen from now to that time? What are you going to do with your faith? Because Peter's pretty clear. You've got to do something with that. So he's acknowledging it's, it's, this is a strange place, and it's temporary. But what are you going to do with the faith now? It's if he's saying, emulate God, not the world around us. Not, Not this temporary place. It's not your home. Don't emulate that. Don't kick your feet up to the current of culture. It'll take you wherever it wants to go. Instead, ground yourself and be an influence and impact, living solid, living out holiness. Even in this place, even in this place, every teen can go to camp and look amazingly holy being at camp all week. Why? Because it's such a great atmosphere to hear about God and see God and being away from certain things. And God actually does that for us at times. Sometimes church is that. Sometimes you do a spiritual retreat or your time in the Word. But at some point in time, you and I have to go back out into culture and ground ourselves on Jesus Christ, ground ourselves in who he is and what he's about, and live out our faith and share our faith with others in that context. Emulate God, not the world around us. A couple questions for a takeaway this morning. One is this, have you received Jesus as your Savior? That would be where you start, right? Where you start would be to say, I, I want to start with receiving Jesus as my Savior. It's not going to happen through uh, your materialism, through trying to, try to find happiness through something else. There is some God-shaped void in your life that will only be filled by Christ. And so the first one would ask, have you received Jesus as your Savior? Something you could do right now. Right now if God has led you to that point where you could just say, Lord, forgive me. I've been selfish. I've done it my own way. Today I want to put myself in your hands and receive you as my Savior. A simple prayer like that. And we know in an instant You're called child of God. That's what God's word tells us. Here's the second question. Are you living Jesus as your Lord? Especially for you believers out there. Listen, are you living Jesus as your Lord? Are you looking around? Now, some of you, this is where we get off, right? We only think about conversion here. We only think about the day we said yes to Jesus or that season in our life. What was I like before that? And what am I like now? For some of you, became a Christian like four years old, right? You got baptized at four years old. You said yes. And you're like, I can't ever remember a period of time. Don't just think conversion on this. Think of every move of God and the Holy Spirit in your life. Whether you weren't a Christian or whether you were a Christian. Every single time God spoke into your life. Every single time you were in church or a service or you were reading God's word or you were driving down the road and God spoke to you. And you're like, i got to make a change. I got to be more part of that. I got to be more compassionate. I got to do better with my finances. I got to do better with my time. I need to serve people more. I get grumpy really fast. God, do help me do something about that. On and on and on and on and on, that is God's calling you towards holiness and really he's calling you towards letting him be the Lord of your life. Every single thing like that. I would guess with some of you you can think of times where you said yes. And you can think of times where you just were like, either you said no, or you're just like, ah, I'm just going to move on from this and not deal with this one. Are you living Jesus as your Lord? I'm telling you, this week when I read this, um, I was impacted. I was humbled by this. I immediately, when I wrote that question down to ask you, immediately I was like, well, there's that, Tom, and you think that sometimes, and you let yourself go there sometimes, it was immediate, my own things. And I imagine you have them as well. Because daily holiness is important. It's still important. Even in the church world, though we shy away from the word holy or holiness in our in our culture, it is still dramatically important that we live out Jesus as Lord. Can't do one without the other. That's the heresy. But living out Jesus is my Savior living out Jesus as my Lord, that's the fullness of what Christ wants to bring in this full life for us. Last thing I want you to do this week, take a look, if you have your Bible, you can look at it. If not, I'll just tell you, First Peter has five chapters, right? The first Peter, not, not, not the whole first and second, just First Peter has five chapters. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to challenge you this week. Start tomorrow and read one chapter of Peter throughout this week. Just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, just read one chapter a day this week. If you're already doing personal devotions, you've got something you're walking through, add this to it. Don't like say, well, I'm already doing a personal devotion. Just add this. It'll still be of tremendous value. If you're doing nothing, right, currently you're not getting in God's Word at all, maybe you're not even having a prayer time uh, during the day, then I'm helping you. I'm directing you on how you can jump in here, and we're all we'll do it on the same page, Monday through Friday, one, two, three, four, and five. Just read those chapters. Here's what I want you to ask. One question to ask of yourself at the end of each time you read a chapter. It's just one question, right? If this is the word of God, if I believe this is the word of God, I think most of you would say, yeah, no problem there. This is the word of God. What does this passage require of me? If you read it this week, one, one chapter a day, at the end of each of those chapters, just say, if I believe this is the word of God, what does this passage require Then my encouragement would be, whatever you think, just write it down. I know some of you are like, I'm not a journaler. You don't have to journal. It's okay. Just write that thing down. Type it into your phone notes. Somewhere where that thought does not become a fleeting thing, but you would recognize that whatever you answer that question, that is a move of God this week or that day so that he can be Lord of your life in whatever area he's speaking to you about. So we'll do that together this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this this short passage, Lord, that actually leads to a, a pretty amazing little letter that Peter writes, impactful and very, very challenging if we read it as a challenge to our own hearts. So, Lord, help us to do that this week. Lord, help us to make a commitment. Lord, if there be any way that I'm not letting Jesus be Lord of my life, Father, would it be this week that you would reveal that loud and clear even if it's hard to hear, and that I would come then under the authority through obedience and the help and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to claim you as Lord in that area. I pray it in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, another thing you could do is is, uh, if at all you're like rested, maybe you've rested a few years on the Jesus knowledge you have comes through your sermons or uh, through maybe some Bible study curriculum somebody writes or that, I would encourage, like, strip that stuff away for a little while. Well, don't strip away coming on Sunday mornings, but um, sh- but get into God's word yourself. Start Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most of us don't as longtime Christians because we're like, I've been around Christianity. I, I know that stuff, right? Or I don't want to read it one more time. Uh, read that all the way through, and that tells us a lot about who Jesus is. All right. Hey, uh, tomorrow you get a prayer text. If